Welcome to The Revolution. Welcome to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. So glad to be here today. We've got two uh, serious topics today um, that we're going to be talking about. Uh, let me get out of the way. The views expressed on this show in both hours are not necessarily those of our wonderful KKNW or CHD TV. And we are not giving medical or legal advice. We're just giving you some information. Go seek out your own trusted healthcare and legal advisors, um, before you make any decisions. Um, so, you know, the, the two topics kind of thematically is, uh, to untangle yourself, as it were, from, um, from two aspects of modern life that a lot of people are caught up in. Um, one is uh, prescription drugs, a, a certain classification of them. And the second is EMF, uh, you know, the electromagnetic radiation. It's everywhere. So as we navigate this modern life that we have, how do we do it safely? how can we not completely abandon modern life and yet make really good informed decisions for ourselves and our kids and our families? And that's what these two hours are about. Second hour is all about EMF. I got two experts coming on. Um, this first hour, I'm welcoming welcoming to the show, Kim Witzak, who has been with us before. Um, welcome to an informed life radio, Kim. Hi, Bernadette. Nice to see you again. It's so nice to see you. And thank you for, for being on the show today. Um, we're going to start, I think, a little emotionally, and then we're going to get factual. How's that sound? Kind of get the emotion out of the way. <laughs> Sounds good. Head yeah. heart, as I call it, the head heart strategy. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is really an important month. It's It's Suicide Prevention Month. And I dare say you live each day. Um, with that in your heart because of your journey. Uh, so I would like you to tell listeners, um, if, because some of them may not have heard you talk about it before, um, about Woody and, and your experience and, and what has brought you on this journey that you are on today. Great. Well, um, yes, as you mentioned, September is Suicide Awareness Month, Suicide Prevention Month. And as I like to call um, myself and how I fit into it, I call myself the accidental advocate. I never set out to do this work that I'm um, that we'll be talking about. And I've been living it for 20 years. I um, am a it's hard for me to even say because I don't necessarily feel it, but I am a survivor of suicide. And um, I say it because my husband, 20 years ago, and it was ju we just celebrated his 20-year anniversary, um, um, was um, a victim of Zoloft, an antidepressant-induced suicide. And, and I say that because Woody had just, I mean, we've been married for almost 10 years. We um, both traveled. We had successful careers. He had just started his dream job with a startup company and was having trouble sleeping. And Woody was a guy that always needed eight hours of sleep. I mean, it was just kind of notorious for it. And so he went and sought out medical help because he had had a couple weeks of not getting sleep. So he went to his doctor 
and his GP, somebody who's gone to for years for, you know, physicals, etc. And um, left with a three week sample pack of Zoloft um, and was told that it would take the edge off and help him sleep. And I happened to be out of the country. It was my busy time of the year um, for my advertising job. And I was in New Zealand. So I wasn't there when Woody came home with this sample pack that was in a you know brown paper bag that doubled the dose after week one to week two. Hmm. And so um, as I'm living, having a great time in New Zealand, Woody was, you know, started this new um, drug. And when I finally got back into, um, into town three weeks later, I'll never forget um, something that still haunts me to this day. Woody, you know, was, I was excited to see him. He walked in our back door um, in a blue dress shirt with an undershirt underneath, completely drenched. He dropped to the floor um, and he fell into a fetal position with his hands around his head. And he kept like going, Kim, you got to help me. I don't know what's happening. My head's outside my body looking in. And he's just bawling, rocking forth. And he goes, I don't think I can handle another one. I've been driving all day. And I was like, what? Like I had never seen this in, in him at all. So we calmed him down. We got him to, um, you know, we did breathing, we did um, praying, we, you know, tried all these things. And he ultimately called the doctor and told him about what had happened. And the doctor said, you got to give it four to six weeks to kick in. Woody lasted another one week more. And it was on August 6th, 2003. I was out of town again for work. I hadn't heard from Woody and Woody and I talked all the time, uh, multiple times during the day. And I had him calling and I kept calling and I kept calling. And um, it, w- it wasn't until I called our home answering machine and I got a message from Woody's business partner saying, hey, where are you? We have a big meeting tomorrow. Um, that I started getting really nervous. And so, but not expecting what I was about to find out. But I, so I, I called my dad and I said, dad, do me a favor. We just, um, Woody, you know, just has been having trouble sleeping. I'm afraid he might've hit his head. My dad goes over to our house. Um, and opens up our garage, and there's Woody hanging from the rafters. And I'll never forget that phone call. I got in the middle of a production we were on stage, and it was like 9 o'clock at night, and I got this call saying, it's bad, it's bad. I'm like, what do you mean it's bad? And he goes, Woody's dead. And I go, what? And I go, and he goes, and I go, how do you know? How do you know? And he goes, he's hanging. And, and like literally every part, you know, my life at that moment um, forever changed. It made like those, those words he's hanging mm-hmm. made no sense. And um, so anyways, intuitively, you know, that was just, you know, like how I was, I'm like, what? But he wasn't depressed. Like none of this made sense. And it wasn't until the corner that night when I was um, uh, at the hotel um, called and asked if Woody was taking any medication. And the mm-hmm. only medication Woody was taking was Zoloft. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, it's on our kitchen counter. Um, she goes, there's a bottle on the kitchen counter. We're going to take it with us. It might have something to do with his death. Clue number one. Clue number two, that same night, was the Minneapolis local paper had an article on the front page that said the UK finds a link between antidepressants and suicide in teens. And so, you know, Woody always left me notes. There were no notes on the biggest trip of his life. Uh, and this in my, you know, I feel very, very grateful now looking back 
that the coroner had the wisdom to ask if Woody was on any medication. Because uh, I think that was a very different time. Um, but anyways, so that was really the start of, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't question the drug at that time because it was, you know, advertised and sold and as safe and effective. And mm-hmm. it was out to him by his doctor, somebody he trusted. Mm-hmm. And we trusted the system. So mm-hmm. um, that night, my brother-in-law went home and Googled Zoloft and suicide and Literally, we had no idea what we didn't know, that in 1991, the FDA was investigating the link between the emergence of violence and suicide with Prozac. Hmm. And, and they voted, the advisory committee voted no, and they were all conflicted with taking, meaning they took money from in, industry. Mm-hmm. And they were told, Eli Lilly was told to study suicidality. They never did. The FDA um, never followed up. And now we're 2003. And, you know, that became then what I call is our mission. The battle for Woody was yeah. to do something with what happened because we were in that discovery mode. And I think, yeah. you know. Yeah. And he, and here we are 20 years later, um, and we're going to go back to the great work you have done and the work that still needs to be done, but I feel like there is a growing army. Um, before we move forward, I want to honor, besides honoring Woody today, his memory and the work being done in his name, I also want to honor uh, um, Travis Shara who also passed away, um, the end of his life also influenced by prescription drugs. So a lot of my listeners know, and I believe Kim, you know, Scott Shara, whose beautiful daughter, Grace passed away October of 2021. Um, there is a lawsuit now about her death. Anybody looking at the facts would call it medical murder and, um, including me. I'm not an expert, but I don't know how you can come to any other conclusion when you look at what happened to her. Um, and sadly, Scott and his his wife and their other daughter um, had just several years before lost to suicide, Travis, Grace's brother. Um, and I wanted to just read, I talked um, to Scott uh, the day before yesterday, um, and I want to uh, just read a little bit what he said. He said, we lost our only son, Travis, to suicide on October 9th, 2018. He was 30. Just three weeks earlier, he celebrated his special sister Grace's 16th birthday with us, and our family time together was joyous, and he seemed normal. Travis at times struggled with depression, and unfortunately, we believe, became a victim of the experiments with medications used by psychiatrists. This is medical murder. Some of the things we've learned about suicide requires families to be alert to what's happening. We would never have thought we should be concerned. This wouldn't happen to our son, they thought. For instance, the loss of interest in the things he enjoyed. He had a reason for each situation, which seemed to make sense. But when you add them all together, it pointed to where he was truly at. When we think about what happened, we believe Travis didn't want to be a burden with all that he was emotionally carrying. And then he lost the ability to fight the demons because of the medications. He was battling some physical pain, but the mental pain was what took a toll. 
And then I want to just say to Scott, if you're listening, your dear wife and daughter, that our hearts are with you. And we hope you know you're not alone in this journey, in the loss of Travis and in the loss of Grace. We fight on for them every day. And we fight for Woody. We fight for all of those whose lives were ended too soon. And our heart and prayers are with you. And our heart and prayers are with you, Kim. And everybody out there whose lives have been touched um, by suicide. Um, You know, I know that exposure to pharmaceutical drugs is not the always a factor in the loss of a life um, gone too early. But today there is an epidemic for the past few years, what we're experiencing, Kim, and what you have revealed in Woody's story is you don't have to begin with depression and be suicidal for the drugs to tip you into suicide. You could be somebody full of life and hope and, and everything that Woody was, and it's the drugs themselves that, that caused the suicide. And that's the focus of this show, to bring awareness um, so that families, you know, you had clues right in front of your face, but you were not told that these were clues. You were not told what you were witnessing. And um, the Shara family did not either. So many of us don't really understand until afterward. And I guess one other thing I want to say to Scott and to you and and others, that from what I've learned in in speaking to people who have lost and, and I've lost in other ways myself is that we can't dwell on the what, a, what, what if, what if only I had, if only I had done this or done that differently. And we can't live that way in life. We, we, every day we get up and we make the choices that we think are best for ourselves and our loved ones. And I think we have to take those painful experiences and do something positive with them, but not dwell there because dwelling there, um, it's like we stop living too. And we can't do that. We must live on, um, because life is good. <laughs> We're meant to live on. So, okay, enough of that here. So, um, so I'm going to go ahead and stop sharing here. Um, I just needed to take a big breath for, you know, in honor of Travis. And I know countless and countless of families that I have met over the years, as well as people who I met when I went one, you know, to a suicide support group. And I think your wisdom of, you know, looking back, I mean, I think that's what a lot of us do is we look back and think, well, what can we do? What would we, should have we done? You know, could have I done something different? And I know I gave myself grace and permission um, because I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that became really what I found. And I'm sure the same for Travis and Grace's parents as well, is that in part of, you know, I knew I needed to do something because as I started doing, you know, putting pieces together, I knew that I needed to do because I was given a voice. God gave me a voice, gave me this ability to make sure that, you know, that I can Get, do whatever I can so that no other family has to learn the hard way like we did and yes. don't have the information. So that's really where it started. And I think in that process, you know, for, for me, and I can say for countless other people I've worked with is 
that has also helped our own personal grieving to mm-hmm. make um, to make an understanding of or give understanding and purpose for this life lost. And mm-hmm. you know, I always think about how Woody lived his life, which was you know, I'll never judge it based on my um, my how much money I make, my career. It'll be based on my family and my friends and leaving the world a better place. So mm-hmm. this is my way of how I can honor his life and death is to make it a better place. So that, yeah, that that's absolutely beautiful. That give your giving yourself grace is is very difficult to do. Um, it, I think it's a lesson that we need for many aspects of our lives. Is how do we learn from the past in a way that feeds the future without you know. Um, doing sort of the self-harm by, uh, by living there. Um, yeah. None of us is perfect. <laughs> yeah, and you can't go back. Like even yeah. in the million, you know, all the times I would think like, if only if I, you know, I know. Even just for things, even like an hour ago, I was out walking. I can't go back and go down a different path because I no. walked, you know, the times it's done. And yeah. So what I can do is only learn from the past and take lessons from the past and yeah. going forward. And so, you know, that is one of the, my own personal growth um, that I have learned through this horrific experience called grief. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Kim. So, so you, you set out on this mission. It's because of your work that drugs today that have the potential to cause uh, suicidal or homicidal ideation that they have what's called black black box warnings on the inserts. But tragically, people are not looking at the inserts of the products and there is not adequate time being spent by the prescriber, by the doctor and the patient so that they fully understand what it is they're getting into. They also don't understand, and this is for all prescription drugs, Mm -hmm. that approval was based only on the data that the uh, pharmaceutical company chose to show the FDA. And often it's decades later that the full truth will come out. Um, And uh, you really, it's buyer beware for everything. Um, And it seems as if with COVID, the COVID shot seemed to give permission to the FDA to license any blessed thing that came along. There doesn't seem to be a product untested enough, unsafe enough, ineffective enough, unnecessary enough that they will not give it their full approval. It, and it's, it makes it so that we must be even more aware. Um, you currently sit on a, um, the FDA's psychotropic uh, advisory committee, drug right. advisory committee, and you recently oversaw um, a couple of drugs. One in particular, you were the only no vote, and another drug that they made you recuse yourself because they said you were biased. Could you give us a little information on those two drugs? Sure. Uh, it's funny. You know, I sit on the same committee that in 1991 had the opportunity to uh, put black box warnings on when it was just Prozac and did nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So I take my role as consumer representative very serious because I know there are real world consequences to the decisions and recommendations that we make. And one of the things that I have seen, um, to your point of obviously the COVID vaccines, 
came to market under you know something called the emergency use authorization and ultimately got FDA approval you know a certain branded version right but that that whole idea of double blinded you know two double blinded placebo controlled which is kind of what we've been taught uh, is the gold standard no longer really happens so a lot of the new drugs that are coming to market that'll even get reviewed by our committee are using some type of accelerated approval pathway, which is what Congress granted to um, to the FDA or to companies to use. And this was really in response to uh, back in the AIDS crisis when there weren't, mm-hmm. you know, when we were too slow, the FDA was too slow at bringing drugs out to, to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So really what it is now is, you know, the drug on the two that you specifically rec- um, talked about, one um, was the, well, it was actually, I have several examples where I'm one of the only two no votes or no votes, but they use something called like a breakthrough therapy designation. So they only really are using small numbers of people to get um, clinical trials to get it approved, right? Mm-hmm. And they have different endpoints. Everybody uses these surrogate endpoints. And it's all about how you can almost control, to your point, the, um, the data, to mm-hmm. get the story that you need to tell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, safety. Um, so the one drug was Resulti, which is an antipsychotic that has currently been on the market. It's currently on the market. But what it got approved for, for an unmet need, which is one of those other kind of buzzwords, which is another pathway uh, uh, that allows um, the companies to use lesser standard um, of data, and that is Resulti is an antipsychotic. It's been um, and it was for uh, Alzheimer's um, agitation. And, and basically, you know, there was a in back a couple of years ago, there was a lot of um, issue with um, nursing homes specifically using antipsychotics for elderly people. Um, it was just in some ways to tranquilize them. I mean, that was a pretty common use. And mm-hmm. it really meant for schizophrenia. That's where it got approved. Mm-hmm. Well, so then it made it harder. You know, our government made it harder to get those drugs approved. So here long comes Resulti, and they did a test. You know, they studied it, um, and they were able to get it approved um, for um, Alzheimer's agitation, and um, which is, you know, um, Dementia-related. I can tell you right now, it's. I think it's like fourteen thousand dollars a month. I there were deaths in it. You know. Wait, 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 wait. You said this prescription costs fourteen thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. So, but FDA doesn't. So that's none of our. Like even when we bring up anything to do with money, but you know what a drug costs is not the FDA. Oh. They say it doesn't matter. Oh, it does though. If it's an off patent drug like ivermectin and it costs pennies, oh, right? Or just a few dollars a dose. Right. Well, we then don't want suddenly, no, we can't talk about that. We don't care well, if it's expensive. We just don't want it to be cheap. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that's why when you start looking at the drug and the drug prices and all of that. But so I, you know, when I saw this, because one of the things with antipsychotics is there's been a high level of deaths associated with it. And this one had an even higher depth compared to some of the other antipsychotics. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't in good conscience vote for something that I already know in this, in the clinical trials had deaths associated with it. Yeah. And so fast forward, 
you know, the drug did get um, ultimately just got approved by the FDA. And now what that allows is it'll be interesting to see because um, will it be covered by, you know, we're paying for, you know, a lot of those people, it'll be used in the senior in the nursing home. Yeah. So very interesting to track this one. Yeah. But I also look at how much money is going to be wasted and wow. now talking about the waste of lives too. And it'll be yeah. you know, sold as hope. So that was one drug. And the other one was Chantex. And Chantex is a smoking cessation drug that was created by Pfizer. Uh, it's to help, you know, um, people who want to quit smoking. And one of the things about this drug is it had a black box. It had a current black box warning on it for neuropsychiatric um, side effects, like some violence, psychosis, hallucinations. There were suicides in, in it. And when it came to market, it didn't originally have black box warnings. But ultimately, the FDA put a black box warning on it after and there at the same time were over 2,800 lawsuits hmm. that were happening. And that's why the black box warning ultimately got put on it, right? Because these mm-hmm. side effects were becoming um, known. And Pfizer settled the lawsuits um, and part of the settlement with all of the victims and the lawyers and the experts who had seen all the documents is that they could never tell the story, you know, they're, the victims could never tell their stories in public again. So I met people who, like me, were really active in the Chantex, um, you know, um, story and mm-hmm. helped, you know, tell the story, worked with the media, etc. And as part of the settlement, they had to take all their websites down. They could never tell their stories in public again as part of the settlement. And all of the documents, because it had very different lawyers than the type of lawyers I had with the antidepressants that worked very hard to get these internal company documents made public. Well, they unfortunately never, the lawyers involved in the Chantex did not get the documents that were reviewed by two um, very important, Dr. Glenn Mullen, who um, was involved with the um, antidepressants as well. Um, mm-hmm. He's a psychiatrist from Harvard, so he's used to looking at drug company internal drug company documents. He was one of the experts, um, as well as Tom Moore, who is the Institute of Safe Medication Practices, mm-hmm. and both of them said that the documents that they saw belong to the public. Right? I mean, there's there are serious public health um, crisis. Um, you know, information in there that would help the public. Mm -hmm. Well, fast forward, as soon as all of that litigation was done, Pfizer goes to the FDA and says that they want to, um, you know, they did a new study, the Eagle study, it was done over in Europe, and there were no, there's no side side effects, neuropsychiatric side side effects. So they went to the FDA to um, to get the black box warning removed from the drug. Same drug, but it's everything's the same. But yeah. um, so they had a, so our committee was supposed to review all that data from the Eagle study, and um, ultimately, you know, with the the um, desire to get the black box warning removed. Mm-hmm. So I had all the data. I was really excited um, to like actually be a part of this. Um, hearing because I think, you know, it's, it was going to be a, an interesting hearing because I wanted to know about 
all the lawsuits and the victims and things like that. But a couple days before the hearing, I got a call from the FDA that it had come to their attention that I had an intellectual bias. (laughs) (laughs) And and I got kicked off the committee. And, um, and so I remember when I talked to them, because I said, I, I'm like, I didn't even know what an intellectual bias was, right? I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, so we had a meeting and there was like 10 people on their side. And I wish I could have been um, a little fly on the wall. Because, yeah. I, I, you know, I wanted them to explain why I was being removed. And I remember specifically saying, if you consider safety and intellectual bias, then I'm going to always have an intellectual bias. Mm-hmm. Safety is always going to be my priority, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's enough people out there saying something, the drugs are good. Um, so, I, you know, that's a priority for me. And, but they said, and so one of the things I said, well, since I can't, I missed the public deadline or the deadline to be a public speaker, I would still like to come and address the committee mm-hmm. uh, at the meeting and the next week. And so can I, and they gave me permission to show up and I was able to um, at least say a few things to the committee, the committee I should have been on. But you know, the funny thing is those comments didn't get put into the public record and there was no discussion of the lawsuits of, you know, the victims who, you know, like let's hear from both sides. Cause I always say, you know, that is really important and we've seen it more than ever with like COVID. It is really important that we have debate, right? So especially if you're going to take off a black box warning, which is a huge safety issue, Mm -hmm. we need to hear from all sides, not just the company supplied data, but of course they have a business reason to want the warning to go away. But in an unprecedented move, the FDA actually first time removed a black box warning. FDA is beyond captured at this point. They are criminal. It's criminal behavior is, you know, I, I hope everybody listening understands that you absolutely cannot trust what the FDA has licensed, what they've approved, what they have done, what's on the insert. This is really where we are. I mean, we want you to heed black box warnings when they do deem them necessary. And it makes me wonder how terribly dangerous are the drugs where the warnings remain and they don't remove them um, or how much money was, I mean, pharmaceutical companies have civil and criminal lawsuit losses as part of their marketing budgets, in essence. If they figure, well, we're going to make $2 billion a year on this drug. If we keep it on the market for 10 years, um, and we'll probably end up in court because people are going to die and be injured. But, you know, it'll probably only cost us a billion. But, you know, two times, we're at 20 billion. So we'll still net profit of 18 billion. So let's do it. I mean, that's how they think. That's how that's how they work. It's it, you know, really business. I always say, you know, Woody, Woody's death is the cost of doing business. You know, acceptable collateral damage. You know, they don't. He's a number. He's not like he's not Tim Witzak, a husband, you know, a son, an uncle. He's just a number that they Mm -hmm. can just kind of, you know, the act, Mm -hmm. you know, the accounting department or actuarial. Yeah. department can figure a number out 
But you know what I have, what I found, and through this whole process is the importance of being able to hold companies accountable, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what I was interesting during this whole COVID, you know, I didn't, I am not as familiar with all the the vaccines before the COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I, and now I, you know, that was one of the first things that I noticed is that they gave these companies, the manufacturers for a rush product that they were taking away all of the, um, you know, they eventually let the placebo group in the clinical trial um, get the drug where, which means that you, the control group you don't have, you we don't really have no idea to look at safety. No. Given them complete legal immunity, Pfizer, one of the most corrupt companies and you know so that was a red flag but we need to be able to hold companies yeah so you're right with the COVID shots there are no completed phase three trial studies and yet now the fda is saying because the original vaccines have already been used by so many people we're not going to test any of them moving forward so no completed original trials and now everything gets eight mice or something and and on they go. It is so terrifying. It is um, terrifying. I, yeah, I wanted to share with you, like on the Tennessee chapter of Children's Health Defense page, we've got a campaign going called Disarm Pharma, where we talk about this and there's resources. I encourage people to go there. Uh, TN.childrenshealthdefense.org, the Disarm Pharma um, tab, you will see. I wanted to bring to people's attention... Um, some of the posts down here, one that was really um, infuriating because there was another drug that was uh, a rapid license. FDA approved a dangerous postpartum depression drug. Um, And it, it's just, they gave it a priority review and a fast track because there were no pharmaceuticals that target postpartum depression. It's because it doesn't require a drug. Hello, this is okay. There are solutions to, to, um, postpartum depression. It's not, uh, nobody is, um, pharmacologically deficient in anything, right? You know what I mean? Um, and anyway. something about that drug. So, yes, I, yes. um, so that's the actual, the drug version, but I was originally on the committee and I did vote no for the, it was a, um, it was a drip. I think it was an infusion drug initially mm-hmm. that for this postpartum. And like I said, everything's an unmet need, right? Yeah. And so that's how they got the prior, because there's, that means that there's no drug on the market. And I remember when we were reviewing the infusion version of this drug, I said, mark my words, there's going to be a pill version because mm-hmm. what they wanted people to do is actually go to the hospital and get infused, you mm-hmm. know, um, and you have a new baby at home. Like mm-hmm. it just didn't make sense. So I said, I can guarantee you a pill will come out. And sure enough, the pill version did come out. And so, you know, I go back to looking at all of these drugs and, and I don't, um, and I I don't know if that one has a black box. It does. It was, it was licensed to pregnant women a black box warning that says, um, causes driving impairment due to central nervous system depressant effects. You're going to give a new mother who has to care for a precious, fragile newborn, a drug that depresses her central nervous system. Are you kidding me? And that, but then also in there, it says it, it increases risk of suicidal ideation may cause suicidal thoughts and behavior. It's just, it's just, and, and it gets into breast milk and they don't know what it does to the baby. 
Yeah. These are the kind of things like just this high, you're highlighting this. Um, yeah. It really is one of those things that I say to everybody, caution, you know, right. buyer beware, you know, this idea of just trusting um, and under, yeah. you know, like you really do need to talk to people and, and do your own research. And even like, I always say, challenge me. I don't care about it because you shouldn't just take my word either. I feel like everybody should be empowered to go do their research. But this is, you know, like asking those critical questions, like you said, really, it's a brand new baby. Like it's a brand new yeah. mom yeah. And, and it can impair your driving or yeah. impair your ability to function. At to home think, right. Home yeah. It's, you know, if it's impairing your ability to drive safely, you know, we all have those airhead moments. What if it's making you have an airhead moment in the house or whatever right? that you leave the stove on or you do something that could harm you or your family or the baby? It's just absurd that they would license it. And and we do not, again, we're not giving medical advice, but I'm telling you, if you don't have a good health care practitioner support system and have individuals in your life who approach your health and wellness the way you want to, then you need to get them now. And especially if you're a new mom, you know, there, uh, there's functional medicine doctors, there's naturopaths, there's chiropractors that can address issues of depression and sleeplessness and postpartum depression. So go find those experts, find them now before you need them. So you've got your support network in place and they can find holistic and safe approaches to, to find out what's driving what you're experiencing. And you don't need to go this. And this, this just infuriates me. FDA says it's an unmet need. It's not met by a, a patent high profitable prescription drug, but it's met by nature. It's met by, um, you know, other forms of, uh, healing and wellness. So it's just absurd to me. I'm in anyway. So thank you. So the, um, BMJ, whoops, there's another, um, thing I wanted you to talk about is you were recently published in the BMJ with a wonderful, and I got to make this bigger so I can, um, read it. Um, Peter Doshi and who was the other person? It just Linda was still a yeah. Oh, there we go. Linda Wistilla. Is that how you pronounce her name? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us about this. I, I don't have my login or maybe I never did have one. I'm not able to see the same thing. So tell us what this is all about. Uh, it's an article or a letter that you co-wrote titled Industry Funding and Self-Censorship. How many bite, how many bite the hand that feeds them? Question mark. Okay. Yeah. So this was in response. You know, there was an article that you know, basically was talking about the Royal Colleges over in the UK, um, in the UK and how much money they get from industry. And they were basically saying, well, it's only not that much, like 1%, you know, is some the exact, I don't remember the exact number right off. I think it was like 1% of their annual income. But it becomes that whole idea of self-censorship, that if you're an industry um, and your institution or your um, college gets money from the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, even if it's a small percent and if you are critical of the product, will you actually speak out because, you know, your institution or your college is getting money? Mm -hmm. So it's that idea of like, are you going to actually bite the hand that feeds you? Mm -hmm. uh, now, clearly, it's not self-censorship 
relationship if you're going to go out and promote the product, right? You're going to, uh, that's like a self-censorship. That isn't a self-censorship. Um, that's, you know, they're going to, they'll be fine with you going out and, or even the person will be more free to speak, but it's mm-hmm. ones that have a critical, um, you know, voice that they may not feel comfortable speaking their truth. And we've seen a lot of that in general. So really this idea of self-censorship, you know, we ta- we were in response to talking about the Royal Colleges and, and, and academic institutions. But this idea of self-censorship also happens. I mean, I see it at the, um, the FDA committee that I sit on, right? Mm-hmm. That even if they maybe want to vote or maybe say a few more, like it's more on the negative side of things, right? The more safety concern side of things. Well, if their institution gets funding from the pharmaceutical companies, or if they, because, you know, as researchers, they have to go out and find funding. And so like, if they're afraid that that might potentially, you know, impact their professional business, Will they actually voice their concerns? Mm-hmm. And so when that is the problem with self-censorship. And so no matter what kind of money, you know, it's almost, that mm-hmm. money does buy, in, in our opinions, does buy self-censoring, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that is the negative side because what we are supposed to have in a scientific you know, debate is we're supposed to have the debate. We're supposed to have the tension. We're supposed to have the discussions. And if, we only have one side that feels comfortable and speaking out, then it gives, it can give the false sense that there's consensus Mm -hmm. over the issues that are being discussed. You know, like even looking at, you know, we see it all the time. um, But especially now with like the COVID vaccines, right? Is it really, is everybody really on the same page or are there a lot of people who are afraid um, to speak out? And so I think, you know, that's, it's this whole concept of self-centering. And I think it applies more than just the medical. I think it applies to even our, you know, everything every day. No, self, the marketing messages that are pushed on society from many directions leads to the fear of speaking up and self-censorship. And I dare say that is far more powerful than actual direct censorship. Because if you post something speaking your truth and it comes down because you were censored, you become more irate, you get louder, you find more resources and you go out there to get noisier. But if they've convinced you, if you stand up, you're, you're going to lose your career. You're going to lose your reputation. You're going to lose your friends. People self-censored in, in every aspect of their lives right now. They, they're, they're watching on so many topics, not just medicine. Their lives crumble around them, but they're afraid to stand up in public and kind of say, hey, the emperor's got no clothes on, right? Because they, mm-hmm. you're going to be labeled as evil if you dare yeah. speak truth. I think you really hit on something so powerful that we must stop self-censoring. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And yeah. I think, you know, obviously this was in the medical context, but, mm-hmm. you know, this idea really applies to a bigger societal um, issue. And yeah. as individuals, you know, and, and our own voice, but, you know, 
when they know when whoever they are, you know, this idea. And sometimes they can even be ourselves afraid of what our friends are going to say, our community is going to say, or, you know, I'd rather not say anything because I don't want to create any, you know, stress at work. And you start realizing the power of self-censorship to actually work against us as a society. But, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, I think this issue, you know, obviously this is just industry and, and the medical profession, but we really, really should start talking about it on a bigger uh, global perspective um, as an individual and community perspective. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So for, the time is going so fast, Kim. And, you know, for the remaining of the show, I want to I want to touch on some of the products that we're talking about. Um, well, of course, it's every pharmaceutical buyer beware, pay attention, find a good um, uh, naturopath, functional doctor, somebody you trust to address your issue and try to go that route. This is Bernadette giving her own personal opinion before you reach for that drug. And if you do end up reaching for that drug, by gum, do your research first before you take the first one. But um, tell them in particular, some of the drugs that have these psychotropic effects that are a concern. I'm going to take this out for now because, you know, and I want to um, help direct people where they can get more information. Sure. You know, one of the things I would absolutely, I just wrote a, uh, a Substack article yes. in acceptable collateral damage um, in honor of uh, Suicide Awareness Month. And it was really to say that if we're in the business of talking about uh, preventing suicides, we really do need to talk about the medications. And in here, I really documented the history in, you know, we, I talked about 1991, but in 2004 and 2006 was really where we were able to eventually get these warnings. But in this, um, my podcast, I put all of these videos from a press conference from the, uh, the experts at the time that were the critical thinking that um, have all the information, can tell what the FDA is doing. And if you're interested, because they do talk about, including there's a lawyer, um, my lawyer, Karen Barth Menzies that was in there that talked a lot about the link to violence um, Mm -hmm. associated with these drugs. So any of the antidepressants, I think we need to be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. We um, need to be paying attention to the benzos, the opioids, the, you know, the, um, the abilifies there's, um, you know, they're being used um, um, antipsychotic drugs that are being used for if you are, your antidepressants aren't working, you know, you might need to add another drug. And so this is this idea that where a lot of times these side effects and the side effect of um, that Woody experienced is one that is often missed by that. It's called akathisia and akathisia. And one of the videos, and I think it's Dr. Glenn Mullen in, in my post, and I would highly recommend people to listen because um, we were lucky enough that we had filmmakers that happened to be there because people, we did, it was, we didn't, this wasn't the era of social media. Mm-hmm. So we're lucky that we even have these on camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he talks about this side effect, akathisia. Dr. Healy talks a lot about it. And it often gets missed. And that's like an inside internal agitation, um, extreme torture that, in Pfizer's own words from their um, chief medical officer, said death 
may be a welcome result. And so what, what happens is if somebody is feeling this way and it can manifest itself as more like anxious mm-hmm. and they go into the doctor and then the doctors don't know about it. And so then they'll layer another drug and another drug and another drug. And then you're on, then you can't sleep. So then a sleep med gets put on it. And so this is what's happening is we have a cascading effect of these medications. Mm-hmm. And so we do really need to pay attention to, and, you know, especially as we're looking with the, uh, the global mental health crisis mm-hmm. that, you know, that has come as a result of the last couple of years and the rising rates of antidepressants and other psychiatric drugs to deal with these, uh, you know, the mental health crisis, we really do need to uh, start pushing back, pushing back. Yeah, thank you so much for writing the Substack. So um, people familiar with Substack, just go to, you know, Substack. (laughs) Um, And Kim Witzak, W-I-T-C-Z-A-K is how you spell her name. And thank you for pulling all this together, one-stop resource. We'll um, we'll link this on the, the Tennessee Children's Health Defense um, Disarm Pharma page so people have access to this great resource. Um, I recently purchased a copy of a book of a woman I heard interviewed on the radio. I'm curious if you had uh, heard of her or read her book. I have not read it yet, but I liked what she said on the radio. It's called The Anatomy of Anxiety by Ellen Vora. And on the radio, she was talking about the fact that anxiety and depression and so many of these other things, um, modern medicine prevents you from, it numbs you to feeling the things that are perhaps causing the depression or the anxiety or whatever. And so you don't, you don't properly deal with them. And so, and then she talks about the biology of what's going on in your body, that lack of sleep, um, you know, too much computer time right before bed, um, missing really key nutrients and essential fats, that sort of thing. Um, she just looks at this whole spectrum of things that feeds real health, gut health, which feeds the neurological health, the whole picture. It's the first time I've ever heard anybody talk about this, and I'm very excited um, to dig into, it's called the anatomy of anxiety. I'll see if we can get her to come on the show. Yeah, that would be great because I've um, heard a lot, you know, that's the one thing is one thing with anxiety and depression, it's our natural body's response to an opportunity to look at what's going on in your life. What's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. What's wrong. Like you might need to pay attention to something and, and whatnot. And, and the drugs that have been created, almost numb us. And so when you numb yourself, you don't, you don't feel and, but yet you have to feel and you have to be able to go through the ups and the downs and, you know, and there's a lot of work also that's being out done out there and around getting trapped in the body, you Mm -hmm. know, getting trapped in the body and the importance of moving it out of the body and the foods and the sleep. So it's a holistic approach and yes. not a pharmaceutical approach. Exactly, exactly. And she mentioned that she talked about, it was wonderful to hear the science of crying, the science of what it releases chemically in the, you know, the brain, the endorphins and, and the healing that you get that catharsis. Um, and anyway, so we've, we've 
I look forward to more shows where we can bring on people and bring you on again and just talk about how we can help people who are dealing with certain life issues in a holistic way. Um, and we just encourage everybody, please beware and do not, I, I should have given this warning in the beginning. If you or a loved one is on these drugs, do not stop cold turkey, go mm -hmm. seek out a professional because there's the off ramp from, to stop taking these drugs is not an easy one. And you're going to want professional guidance if, if you decide that um, you're not going to take this road or, or somebody's going to get off of this road. Again, not giving medical advice, but just praying for you all, praying for um, health and happiness for, for everybody. And a lot of grace. Have grace for where you are. Grace for your, the decisions you have made. Learn lessons um, and move forward. And um, knowing that we always, every day, just try to do our best with, with what we've been given. Kim, any final words for our listeners today? I love, I think you said it best, you know, give yourself grace and, and realize that we have an amazing life and we can take advantage. And it, there's, we can stand up the power of the individual when we were just talking self-censoring, that mm -hmm. we have everything that we need here and we need to embrace it and learn to use it. Yes. And, and we are not alone. You are not alone in your journey. Others have gone this path and, um, you know, reach out, find that helping hand and let's, let's do this together. Let's make this world a better place together. I believe we can do that. Kim Witzak, such a delight. Go to kimwitzak.com or find her on Substack. Um, coming up next, we're going to be talking about EMF, a much less emotional, but not <laughs> very damaging as well topic that we're, we'll be having with a couple of experts. So you've been listening to um, an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. I think I actually wrapped up this first hour in time and the music isn't even playing yet, Kim. I don't, I don't often do that. <laughs> well, okay. oh, it's really fun. I always love seeing you and having these conversations. You too, Kim. Take care. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org.
www.healthyimmunity.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a Hello and welcome to the second hour of an Informed Life Radio on 11:50 a.m. KKNW and streaming to CHD TV. I'm so glad you could be with us in the second hour. We are covering EMF, electromagnetic radiation fields. Okay, I'm going to bring on the experts because I'm going to mangle all of the language here. I'm going to go ahead and just bring on Eric Winheim and Laura Markwart. Hello. <laughs> It's the first time I'm meeting these two, and I'm so glad you're here. And I have to say that just before the first hour aired, my computer completely crashed, and I lost all my tabs and quick access to the information about you all. So you get to do your own intros today. How about that? Um, so Laura, I'm going to let you begin. Um, if you could please tell us a little bit about yourself, about your education and, and why you love the field of EMF. Sure. Thanks so much. It's nice to meet you, Bernadette and be on with you, Eric. Um, I am a certified building biology environmental consultant and a, an electromagnetic radiation specialist. Um, so I perform assessments, uh, primarily in people's homes, and that can be worldwide in a lot of different different places and areas. Um, I am the owner of Home Biome, which is a company that inspires safe home and office sanctuaries in a society and world that's very rich in chemicals and technology. So um, before that, before working in building biology and EMF, um, you know, I had personal experiences living and working in buildings that were, you know, very beautiful and, you know, made such an, uh, made an impact in my life, um, you know, by supporting my health and also had some experiences with sick buildings and, um, you know, issues that were, uh, you know, that were coming up and difficult for different people to solve. And now I understand, you know, that I needed a building biologist at that time. And so fortunately, um, through, you know, a series of events, I was able to come into contact with this field and, um, and learn about it myself and be able to, you know, to work with other people, um, help them to understand some of the forces at play and, uh, and make changes. So my work involves, you know, kind of a holistic and also a very technical lens combining building physics, um, building materials, air and water quality, and electromagnetics as well, which is what we're mostly talking about today on the show. Mm -hmm. um, so I really enjoy working with clients and um, improving the indoor environment. Yeah, I'd never heard in, until I met you or saw your work and everything, the term building biologist. I, I love that. I just, it makes so much sense. Um, but I hadn't thought about it before. You know, we all have our different rabbit holes that we go down in life. And while 
this, you know, the, the health of the buildings has been in my periphery awareness, you know, and there's certain things I know to avoid and, and, you know, all of that. I haven't really explored it fully. And I love that it's a whole science. It's, it's multi, I mean, you've got a lot of letters after your name. So BBEC and EMRS, what, what did they stand for? Building, um, building biology, environmental consultant and electromagnetic radiation specialist. All right. And so let's turn now to Eric Winheim. And you also have a BBEC and an EMRS after your name, but you've got another one, an RFSO. So uh, why don't you go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, I got certified in 2015. Everything started after I saw my parents' demise in their house. And when we got them out of the house because they collapsed, um, they made a huge recovery within 24 to 48 hours. In fact, my mom's cancer tumors shrunk, according to the radiologist. They shrunk in number, they shrunk in size, they shrunk in total mass. So when they did die from other complications, I got was trained and certified by then. I went back and measured the house, and I was just sickened because I saw the huge magnetic fields were a result of the electric blanket, uh, my dad's homemade electrical wiring fix-its. He could afford an electrician, but he got a handyman instead. Uh, the dirty electricity from the so-called spiral energy-saving light bulbs. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of this was avoidable. And the levels they had were 10 to 190 times over the extreme concern range. So, And all of their symptoms were correlated to those problems. I can't prove it. So I got trained and certified, and uh, Mm. this is now my ninth year uh, of professional certified service. I've done over a thousand assessments in 12 Western states, including Hawaii and Virginia. Um, I've done over a hundred wiring code repair jobs with electricians, and that's important because wiring code, uh, if you violate the National Electric Code, you're gonna have really big, powerful magnetic fields, and they. They're correlated to ADD, autism, childhood leukemia, miscarriage, cancer. Um, And uh, I've enjoyed being a uh, lab leader to Mm -hmm. assist instructors to teach the students how to get certified. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also, the first thing I did before as a building biologist is I caught my electric utility lying in print about the smart meter. Hmm. There's only six transmissions a day. They're the same power as a cell phone, and there's uh, they're only 50 milliseconds long. And I proved with some of their own documentation that that's false. And I said, look, you're an elected sworn official. You can't lie in print or verbally. Anything you know is false. I served them with a notice of right of self-defense. I was able to keep my analog meter and uh, anybody else that wanted to get an analog meter. So that polarized my whole wow. life. So at age 60, I went back to get trained and certified, and I'm having so much fun now. Oh, good for you. This is, okay, now I'm excited again. I mean, there's like another rabbit hole I got to go down. This is really exciting. I mean, I've, I've taken the basic step. I'm able to turn my Wi-Fi on and off. I try to keep uh-huh. it off as much as right. in hardwire things. But there are other steps that I have not done. So let's back up a little bit. So for the people who are really newbies at this, which is probably a lot of people, um, could you give us some basics on what electromagnetic fields are and then why they are dangerous? What's going on there that makes them dangerous to us, to our health? Who wants to start? Okay, well, um, you know, uh, 
EMF was not in the Garden of Eden, and it wasn't in Abraham Lincoln's cabin either. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since 1885, we've been blessed with, uh, you know, Thomas Edison's invention of modern mass distributed electricity. And uh, epidemiological studies show that lifespan went down eight years wherever he installed these citywide systems, except on the farms until they were electrified. And then the Amish still don't have that eight year depression. So we need electricity, just like fire, you know, which can either cook your food or burn your whole house down or your whole county down like out here in California. Um, but most people assume that electricity is benign and harmless unless you get electrocuted. No, mm -hmm. there's a slow way to die and get injured too. And uh, mm -hmm. Laura knows a lot about that. Um, it sounds like a good segue. So take it over, Laura. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, when we're going in, when we're measuring EMF, um, electromagnetic you know, frequency or radiation, we're looking primarily at um, electric fields, magnetic fields, and radio frequency or digital radiation and pollution. And um, you know, the first two, electric and magnetic, are connected to electricity, electrical appliances. Radio frequency is, you know, kind of the wirelessly communicating um, digital devices. And um, like Eric said, you know, even just with, so a lot of times when when we're talking about EMF and the, you know, the hazards of EMF, um, there's a there's a jump to to only think of the digital devices. However, mm -hmm. um, electric electric fields, uh, magnetic fields and that are just coming from wiring in the walls in homes mm -hmm. and offices, whatever buildings you're in. Um, are have significant health impacts. So all of these fields, electric, magnetic, and radio frequency, um, are biologically active, and they have known health effects. And you know, military studies from the '60s outline it very, very clearly. Um, there's really no denying it, um, and there's no reason anyone would want to deny it. You know, unless it's like industry. You know, like there are reasons that. Yeah. Um, you know, that that we go down right. that road and kind of uh, muddle the issue. But, um, you know, but definitely some of the biggest things that we see when we evaluate and then make changes to electric fields, you know, where people are sleeping in their bedrooms, in their homes. Um, one of the biggest things that people note or notice is sleep quality. You know, mm -hmm. they can usually sleep better. And that's, mm -hmm. that's huge. You know, that is huge. Yeah. That, that time is really needed for um, for rest, regeneration, recuperation, cell detox. So just um, all of these fields, you know, impact our biology. They're biologically active. Um, they impact cell oxygenation, um, hmm. you know, detox, really every, you know, our, our bodies are electric um, mm -hmm. by nature. And so these fields interact with with us, with human and ecological um you know, beings. And so this is yeah. why, why we do the work and why it's really important to start to understand how, how we interact exactly. Okay. So we're, we, we love our modern lifestyle to a, a degree and we're not going to, you know, go completely the way of the Amish, even though if it would be better for our health. So give us some practical tips, if you would please, um, about what we do I mean, where, where do you begin? Where do you even begin deciding what to do? What's the low hanging fruit? What's the easy things to do? And what are some other things that might take more construction as it were to, to um, make your home safer for yourself and your family? Well, 
you know, everybody's got a body doctor and they're great for solving trauma, influenza, sickness, anything they can cure with a shot, pill, surgery. But nobody has a house doctor. So mm -hmm. building biology means the biology of the house. So we're really house doctors. And I tell people what we do is 10,000 times more valuable than what a doctor can do. Because mm -hmm. they, they cannot, they, they, they do not come to your house to see what's actually causing your problem. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like working with doctors, because when I show out, show them what what we can do to help them enjoy their family better. They go, wow, I'm going to start sending my clients to you because there's something going on that I can't help them with. Wow. And the doctor will keep sending them back to a sick house and you can't stay well, much less get well in a sick house. So you should have a professional comprehensive EMF examination rather than just buying a $50 meter on Amazon, waving it around and say, honey, I checked our house out. Everything's okay. Okay, so advice number one is find yourself a qualified uh, home health doctor. And how do you do that? How, is that the official term that somebody would search in their area? How do I find? Is there a website that you trust that lists qualified credentials? Yeah, right. The Building Biology uh, website has find an expert page, and Laura's on there, and so am I. Okay. People that have passed all the certification, they have a website, they've invested in the equipment, they're doing this as a full-time profession rather than uh, a hobby, which uh, there's more and more EMS hobbyists out there trying to make money every day. And you want to avoid them because they don't even know what they're doing wrong yet, much less what they're doing right yet. This right here says, let me close. Um, I think that's the European version. I would go okay. to uh, right. yeah, buildingbiology.net. Okay, I will, homie, stop sharing that. Buildingbiology.net, I will find that one yeah. to share with people because, you know, often that is the, that's the problem with anything in life is you want to go improve something, but you don't know who to trust. Yeah, uh, so exactly. Yeah. Oh, um, buildingbiology.net, it looks like they're calling it a suspicious page. That makes me think I'm going to the right place because the powers that be know that they don't want you to find this. And or... Laura knows how much <laughs> trained and how much it costs to get your basic set of instrumentation. You know, wow. basically bringing the doctor's office out to the person's house. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I think it's it might have changed to buildingbiologyinstitute.org. Okay, we'll try that. Let's see if, if that does not um, come with a warning that it, I'm going somewhere dangerous. I don't always trust that warning because, you know, a lot of the places I visit that, um, you know, powers that be are trying to silence. Yeah, I'll look it up for <laughs> while we're looking. Yeah, uh -huh. I, I'll share this one now and we'll see if um, I believe I do have it now. So thank you so much for that. So, yeah, finding an expert is good. So um, that's up on the top when you get there. It's on the top menu bar. Okay. It's, kind of uh, yeah, it's at the top. Um, you, you made me just think, and this is a, a little bit of a squirrel, which I tend to do is, uh, let's see, there we go. If you can't find it, I got a shortcut you can go to. Is this it? Uh, that's it, yeah. Yay, okay, Building Biology the Institute. Mm -hmm. I am gonna bookmark that and go check that out. That looks then good. You go to find an expert at the top. Okay. Find an expert, Research. there we go. Yeah, there it. we go, find an expert. OK, 
Okay. And so those they're certified consultants, BBEC, EMRS at mm -hmm. the top. Click on that woman with the, yeah, that one right there. There we go. Very nice. Thank you so much for that. We will uh, share this resource. This is all kinds of specialists to really know what you're dealing with. Um, so it, I would think then, especially from what you've been saying, that the um, the most important room maybe to start with, I don't know, you get the, the doctor in, he'll tell you, but is your bedroom. If you get that quality of sleep is, mm -hmm. is absolutely critical. Yeah, exactly. You know, the uh, thing is that uh, sleep deprivation is used as uh, a weapon against prisoners and prisoner of war camps. Mm. But sleep deprivation is very common in America for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And unless you get good sleep, you don't get complete melatonin release, which is your master antioxidant rest and mm -hmm. repair hormone. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have a shorter, more painful, more expensive life if you don't get good sleep. And Laura knows that when we produce a sleep sanctuary, people go, oh, my gosh, I feel so good in the morning. I'm like a fully charged battery ready to go. Wow. A sleep sanctuary in your home. I love that. That's and wonderful. We have a fact sheet. There's a, under resource page, you can go to fact sheets. There's a fact sheet about nice. sleep Okay. Sanctuary. Yeah. And, you know, um, so many of our young people, the young generation, the, the teens and the, and the 20s and 30s, they live upside down. And, you know, they're up all night. They sleep during the day. They're just they're exposed to all of this. And it's just how they live. And I it's just like I mean, there's just so much being taught in school that I don't agree with anymore. And I, I want you in the schools. I want you telling everybody in kindergarten, sleep's very important, and here's why. Did your mama make you a sleep sanctuary that doesn't have any EMFs? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. if we're going to indoctrinate them, let's indoctrinate them with some really good stuff for their health. <laughs> well, the sad thing is most classrooms nowadays are radiation chambers. Oh, that's true. Exactly. I mean, that's right true. at the center on the ceiling, there's a radiation dispenser called a Wi-Fi yeah. access point, and it's uh, showering these kids with extremely high levels. Wow. And they're going to the nurse's office with headaches, nausea, fatigue, yeah. even vomiting. And yeah. the school doesn't want to hear about it because they've got a 10-year contract with some Wi-Fi company to keep this equipment updated all the time. Wow. I think you wouldn't it be cool if parents in a school district would get together and then <laughs> hire a doctor to come check out the health of the school and then mm -hmm. try to make some positive changes. I know years ago in, in one of my son's schools, we all chipped in to replace the fluorescent light bulbs with 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 lighting that I, I don't remember now, but it was safer. I don't know how you know it was it it didn't have the whatever it is that was giving kids headaches and such um but we need to get proactive on that we can't expect the industry and our schools are part of industry anymore they just they get contracts they put money over health of the children um and then it, it's it's the wi-fi it's the building lighting you know, um, it's there's probably a whole lot of things surrounding them. And then cell tower might be out next to the football field. So you've also got that nearby in a lot of schools. And then they wonder why the kids can't concentrate. And then they start diagnosing them all as, with having ADHD. 
Exactly. It's unbelievable. Like, um, you know, Eric was talking about, they're just becoming, I mean, when I was in elementary and high school, um, we didn't have, you know, wire, we didn't have Wi-Fi routers in the classroom. It was just you know, before my time. And I'm really grateful for that. But I was in classrooms that where there was, you know, fluorescent lighting. I didn't have any windows in, you know, most of the classrooms. Um, it's very, oh. it's just, it's pain, that's painful enough. And yeah. now, now we're adding layers and layers of radiation, which is, you know, the Wi-Fi. kids carrying their cell phones in their backpacks in their hands, using them all, you know, they've got the uh, cellular antennas on, the, wire, the Wi-Fi antennas on, the Bluetooth antennas on, locations yeah. on. And then as well, as you said, um, there's actually, you know, towers and antennas being installed, um, you know, high power, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for cell phones and for other purposes on top of the schools themselves or, you know, in the football mm-hmm. field. So it's just, it's so many layers. Uh, so many point. layers. Yes. Such a big problem. So now I know we're bringing in the doctor, um, but could you talk to us a bit once you get the doctor and what kind of changes will we see? Will we be recommended to do? Can you give us some examples? Sure. It's pretty simple. Well, first of all, the doctor has to be looked beyond the allopathic formula of shots, pills, surgery, and radiation. They have to realize that the home environment is part of the person's health too. And what's in the refrigerator, but that's a whole other show. Okay. Right, yeah, and, what you eat. <laughs> and then the simple thing is you can deliver faster internet with cables, okay? You don't need to shower all the children and marinate them in Wi-Fi radiation all day long. No. But, uh, you know, Got a hardwire. That's what we do here. We have fiber optic, and then I've hardwired my laptop. And then you're up against most of the parents, which believe this is harmless. They've been duped and deceived by the FCC, which is a captured agency, according to Harvard Ethics Department, uh, Norman Allister. Um, everybody thinks the cell phone is safe, benign. Wi-Fi is safe and benign. So if you come and you say, this Wi-Fi is hurting my child, they'll say, well, that's too bad. It's not hurting my child. And I say, not yet, um, mm-hmm. but you're up against the massive ignorance. Mm-hmm. And then I've never seen more wimpish, spineless uh, public <laughs> bureaucracies than because yes. I've talked to a number of superintendents and they hire an expert who charges four or five times more than my, uh, uh, Laura or I would charge. And he comes in and measures at two or three spots in the school and says it meets FCC specs. And I said, yeah, but I've got a 24-hour data log here that shows us the rise and flow of the Wi-Fi mm-hmm. radiation. Mm-hmm. People being hurt even at 2% of what the FCC allows. Yeah. So I found out you can only, I can only help people that already know they got a problem. Okay, so so let's say you've got ready and willing homeowners now. And so one of the changes will be to hardwire their devices and have, um, I would think, I mean, obviously no Wi-Fi at all is optimal, but at least a Wi-Fi router that can be turned off. So Now, that's a great point. um, I'm going to see a client who said, to the superintendent, can you turn off the Wi-Fi in my student's classroom when it's not being used? Mm-hmm. And the answer was no. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, even like as a homeowner, a lot of times, depending on your um, internet service provider, if you get their router, you know, like Comcast or something, you can't turn it off because they use your house as a hotspot 
for their network. So you have to go, luckily they still let you buy your own. And so you have to go spend a couple hundred bucks and get a good one that allows you to switch it off. And it's well worth, if you think of it like as yeah. medicine for your family, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's worth saving up for and investing in. Um, we, we definitely have done that. So, um, and there's adapters, right? Like I have adapter for my MacBook Air that allows me to plug into my USB port, the fiber optic. Um, so, you know, it, it, it can take a little bit more time and a little bit of investment. Um, we haven't done it the pretty way. Like I've got this cord that stretches from my son's room <laughs> and it goes along the walls. Don't go upstairs to my house. It doesn't look <laughs> Bernadette, the, uh, you're talking about solutions and everybody wants to move right to the solution. And I yeah. say, you know, there's a million solutions. So we've got to find out what the problem is. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, our protocol is to detect, measure, assign a biological risk level, and okay. then look at appropriate solutions, gotcha. free, low cost, moderate cost. And if it's a cell tower right outside your house or a power line, the only answer may be to move. Yeah. But yeah. once we find out what the exposure is mm -hmm. and what the source is, then we can work on the solution. Um, okay. I do want to question you. I see a lot of people have spent a lot of money on all kinds of good things that weren't answers to their problems gotcha. because they didn't get a professional assessment. Gotcha. Nerves. Okay. So what are things, what other things in the home? So you named um, building wiring that may uh, be leaking and causing all these fields are not properly installed that would need a professional uh, electrician after being assessed. What other things in the home could be a problem that people are not aware of? Dimmer switches. Oh, dimmer energy switches. Energy efficient variable speed pool pumps, energy oh. efficient variable speed heating and air conditioning motors, hmm. anything with a variable speed motor. Anything with it, and and how how close do you like if you've got heat pump? Um, how close do some of these objects have to be for you to be in their field? The the one next door can be causing a lot of problems for you. Oh, <laughs> I didn't want to hear. Well, with us it's fine, but for a lot of people that's sort of inescapable. It travels on the wires, and um, you know how far electricity goes on wires, right? So uh, dirty, dirty electricity is a high frequency voltage transient. Everybody's sharing the same transformers, getting the same dirty electricity. Is there a way for you, if it's outside your home and not within your authority to fix, is there a way to fix that dirty electricity coming in at the house level? Yes. Oh, that's good to know. Very good to know. Are, are most things other than a cell tower or something, you know, an immovable object, um, are most things addressable? If it's on your property, you have legal authority to do it. It's only a matter of if you want to or not. Okay. The cost of fixing it is far less than the cost of trying to get your doctor to fix your body after the damage. I really want to keep stressing that because after a while, all the king's doctors can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You're just yeah. too beat up and brutalized and you start to have neurological problems. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. So, Laura, talk to us about some of the um, some of the homes that you've helped transform the biology of have you've gotten I want to hear some of the feedback I guess of people the before and after mm -hmm. um, I mean I think during the course of an assessment 
it's very helpful. You know, when we're using our professional meters on site, um, they make noises. And so when we're walking around, you know, closer to sources, it's kind of, a, it's an interesting learning experience for, you know, for renters, homeowners to be a part of because they actually, you know, start to, um, uh, you know, put the pieces together. They're learning about, you know, what some of these exposures are, kind of the frequency, what the sound is, um, and how, you know, how that would be affecting their body potentially. Um, you know, so part a big part of it is is just this education, putting the pieces together. I think it um, oftentimes, you know, we're able to provide a lot of peace of mind, you know, in terms of just saying like it, offering clarity about what is a what is a um, you know, what are low levels, what are high levels. We use a very special, um, you know, the building biology profession um, is the only, has the, the um, is the, is the only profession that uses, um, the precautionary standard and considers, uh, you know, human health and biology and ecology, um, with regards to these, uh, frequencies. So when, so we can sort of, you know, point people in the direction of this is a green zone, this is a red zone. We want to move from red to green. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it helps people to, to understand, you know, sources throughout this process um, and to, uh, you know, to take small steps uh, in terms of turning things off. You know, mm -hmm. how can you reduce your exposure by turning this device off, powering it down or shielding it in some way? Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, just gradually, um, it's also kind of layers and steps to uh, resolving issues in the home or building and um, just gradually going through it, you know, both mm -hmm. in, with education or in shielding and mitigation, just by turning things off and getting rid of things that aren't needed. Mm -hmm. It's really powerful, you know, mm -hmm. it's, really, um, yeah, it, mm -hmm. it's really important to have both partners there, man and wife or whatever significant mm -hmm. other because if the one isn't there, he can't see what Laura's been explaining. He can't hear the change in the meter. He can't see the increase. And sometimes when you turn something off, one of the spouses or the children will say, oh my gosh, the pressure in my head just stopped. What's going on here? Who is this guy? And then the husband who is really mean and showing me how tough he was, suddenly says, okay, Eric, how do we solve this? I understand wow. the problem. Wow. So that melts his heart when he sees oh. his autistic daughter say, the pressure in my head just stopped. Wow. Wow. So they got to both be there. Otherwise, you're just yeah. wasting their money because the husband will say, honey, I don't know if to say, I don't know enough about this to say yes or no. So the answer yeah. is, I don't know. Wow. And, you know, I think about the times when, you know, you're going along, cooking, doing whatever in your home, and then the power goes out. And you didn't realize how loud your house was. Mm -hmm. until the power goes out mm -hmm. and it feels so different it's like instant peace even though it might be dark <laughs> i hear that a lot yeah, exactly. here out cuts off the power because their wires keep falling off the, the poles but uh people who had put off electrical repair suddenly say when can your electrician get out here why because when we didn't have any power my autistic son felt almost normal and then the power came back on and he's urinating in his bed he's kicking holes in the wall you know and he's a little devil again you know oh good heaven are, are is there are there books or documentary films especially on this on, on 
childhood behavior on autism um, that, you know, you can provide some resources. I, this, this is huge. Maybe they're coming. Maybe it's still a, a building thing. I think there are a lot, but um, Eric, did you see the one zapped that came out like three years ago? Um, this was one that focused, it did some case studies with, um, their, with I think perhaps with children and adults uh, who had some form of autism, I believe, or other health conditions. And um, yeah, it showed some of the steps that they were taking to discover you know, what the sources were and also discover you know, how the solutions affected them. Um, so zapped, and then it has a subhead, a subheading. I think that's a decent one to check out. Thank you for that. Yeah. And if it's something else, I'll, um, I'll write you later. And <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, it just seems like there's a bit, a, a big and growing community of people becoming aware. I just love it when people share their stories, especially the stories of healing and recovery, especially for the kids. Our kids mm -hmm. are under such assault. And, um, and if, and if something as like relatively easy, I mean, it's it's letting go of convenience a lot of times, you yes. know, or or bad habits of, you know, picking this up or that. Um, so a lot of us, you know, here I am, I've got my cell phone right here. I mean, I don't have a landline anymore. Um, just have the cell phone. Um, provide, if you would, your your tips for people. OK, you're in your house. And is the number one chief way of communicating. Do you have advice for, I mean, I try to keep mine as far away as I can and still hear it if somebody's trying to get a hold of me. Um, are, there, are there phone shields that you think actually work? Um, or, you know, go ahead, either one of you well, address. I don't want to be a codependent enabler of a really sick and deadly habit. Okay. okay. <laughs> So yeah. I don't talk about shields, you know, or like yeah. which filter on the end of a cigarette is better than the other. Um, the, the, the cell phone <laughs> is the new pack of cigarettes. You see, they're in your hand, in your pocket, or on the table right in front of you, just like in the black and white movies during the 60s. Um, I don't, my cell phone's not in a car. It doesn't get turned on unless I need to talk to the electrician from one end of the house to the yeah. other, or just tell my client I'm a half hour away. Um, I get everything done on my regular phone, you know, the old fashioned way. I've got an answering machine. People mm -hmm. leave a message if it's important. If it's don't, it wasn't worth leaving a message anyway. Um, and I just keep my schedule. Uh, I find it with cell phones. Everything is so tentative. Everything's changing. Oh, no. Can we go here? No. Can we go there? No. Billy wants us to eat lunch over there. Forget it. Make plans and stick. To it. <laughs> I, it, it, yeah. it works for me. I, I do I do get how cell phones make all our lives more complicated, more frantic, more disturbed, Urgent. less peaceful. Yeah. However, um, we need bridges and transition and shielding what we can. Can those of us are moms to young adults and and you know we they don't always listen to us and it might be later in life they decide to go that route. But for now, you know we have to try to at least shield them as best we can and, and give them those, um, the okay. advice. <laughs> now, the, environmental, the environmental working group has a great document on cell phone safety, talk less, text more. And whatever you do, don't look at videos that uses a thousand times more radiation than talking or texting. Oh, use a headset, okay. Okay. keep it at least at arm's distance, but make sure you're not holding it because your hand can get cancer too. Okay. I wow. Mean, it, 
It's still such a high exposure though. So I'm with Eric. I mean, I only, my cell phone um, antennas are almost always off and I use it for emergencies, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And basically the suggestion, because we do think that like that um, reducing exposures is meaningful. um, But at the same time, those exposure levels are so high. If it's sitting on the table near you versus in your hand, it's still an extremely, you know, high exposure level. So if I'm thinking about kids using their cell phones, like you said, and, you know, how do we compromise and how do we use technology, you know, use technology um, and not, uh, and not feel like, um, you know, it was thrown up (laughs) over us. There are, it's possible to use cell phones safely, maybe not the cell service, but a lot of kids are using applications. They're watching videos, they're browsing online, doing whatever that doesn't require cell service. And if you're in the home, a lot of people are using the Wi-Fi service. They have their cell antennas on. All of that can be turned off. And then there are adapters. Like this one goes into an iPhone and this one goes into a Samsung phone and there's an ethernet port and the adapter goes into the phone. You can Mm -hmm. use the phone like a normal person and it's, it's just hooked into, you know, it's hooked up to a cord, turn the antennas off. So you're not exposed to that radiation and um, still get, you know, what you want to get out of your screen. Okay. Okay. So you can even hardwire a phone, make sure you disable the antennas and that might be a a way to navigate this. Um, I I mean, I, I get you. I would love to transform what we've become in society to something different, but um, you know, we got to take people on this journey. Um, and my own loved ones are included. I guess I should include myself in, in that because there's my phone. Although I do have that awareness. Step one is awareness, right? Okay. Um, okay. So something I wanted to talk to you about, and I kind of gave you a little heads up because I've been hearing from from people about um, some big tests that's coming up. The emergency broadcast system is is going to be doing a big test of the emergency alert system on October 4th. And it's gonna go out to all televisions, all radios and all cell phones. Um, and because a lot of us don't really understand how, how all this signaling works and how it all gets put out, um, there's some fear there that this all at once push to send a message out there to everybody could cause um, physical damage to your appliances, to your phones, or damage to yourself because some because of some sort of big pulsed signal or something. Well, you know, that sounds interesting. Maybe we should set up, uh, Laura and I should set up a radio frequency data logging, you know, starting on October 3rd and going through the 4th and seeing if there's a huge increase in cell activity. But I, I think it's just going to be a series of regular cell phone calls, um, no massive EMF pulse, you know. Okay. What, what are your thoughts on that, Laura? Um, along the same lines. I mean, I'm. we're constantly living in a massive EMF, you know, pulse environment. I don't think, um, I don't have, I've heard, a, you know, a lot of um, concerns about this and speculation. And I think, you know, just the general situation that we find ourselves in is, uh, you know, it's high EMF. This is, I mean, we need to consider our everyday, <laughs> every moment, you know, exposures that we have control over. And this, I think, is essentially, you know, an amber alert that people are receiving uh, potentially. 
you know, these messages that people are receiving on their phones and um, they're receiving a lot of other messages throughout the day. So. And it, 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 it's sent out through the normal channels, like an Amber Alert would through the, the emergency, through the cell towers or through your cable system or your fiber yeah. system. Okay. Yeah. And it, it's a coordination of a whole bunch of um, companies that are broadcast companies or cell companies, all that, that work together to say, okay, at this time, we're going to send the message and out it goes. Okay. Um, that makes sense. And I, that would be cool if you did monitor to see if anything years ago, I listened to an audiobook. I used to listen to audiobooks back when they were actually, you know, like discs or, uh, it was a book on tape or actual tape, um, cassette tape, but it was a Stephen King novel, novel called cell, I think. And at the beginning of this novel, he's standing in line to get coffee and everybody is on their phone in front of him. And all of a sudden, the, the, like the girls on their phones in this little cluster start attacking each other. I mean, like biting each other's ears off. And out in the street, the cars are crashing and planes are falling from the sky. And, and the whole book is written from this one man's point of view. He has no idea what's going on. And it turns out there was some sort of terrorist attack that was a pulse that was sent to everybody's phone at the same time. If you were on your phone, it went into your brain and it affected you, but he wasn't on his phone at the time it hit. <laughs> so this is the sort of cultural background. And then along with the distrust of any three letter agency right now, and then all the distress from COVA, people are bringing all of this in, their fear of being shut down and permanently censored. They're bringing all of that to pessimism and skepticism to this FEMA alert. I did tell um, a friend of mine that the most um, innocuous explanation is that it is just a test, truly is a test to the emergency broadcast system and they would be, uh, it would be a dereliction of duty not to test it regularly. They need to test it. And since cell phones are such an important way of how people get messaging because they're not on their phone or regular TV the way they used to be, it is that cell phone de device that of course they have to include that in this system. So to me, it made sense they'd be testing it, but I still don't trust that they're not gonna hijack and put something on my phone at the same time. So maybe I'll turn it off when it's happening. I don't know. <laughs> Well, let's just say that they do overload the system and they do cause the cell tower to actually work at maximum power or even beyond. And let's say that people get injured. You know, we're going to need to show a bigger pile of dead bodies for people to get alarmed about wireless radiation. You know, mm -hmm. back in the 70s, we had the picture of the skillet with the egg frying. I said, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Was sizzling and burning. This is your egg on your brain on drugs. Mm -hmm. And the cross section of people's lungs that have been smoking for 20 years, all the black junk. Yeah. Fortunately, wireless radiation doesn't really destroy someone's lungs. So somehow we're going to have to show a bigger body count in order for it to have a public chagrin and disdain that most people think is harmless right now. Yeah. They don't understand that they they how bad they feel and what's driving it. 
and that it could be their quality of life could be so much better. And they're told, well, you know, cancer's on the rise and heart disease is on the rise. And, you know, you know, autism and ADHD and all of these things are just on the rise and it just can't be helped. As well, though, I'm really glad you said that, Bernadette, because mm -hmm. I've got a paper here from the California Department of Public Health that says it shows a woman holding a cell phone to her head. It says most brain tumors are found on the same side of the head where people hold the phone. Yeah. From the California Department of Public Health. Now, notice they didn't say cell phones cause cancer. No. It's just a coincidence that that's the side of the head that they find them on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to Eric's point, um, there really is a body count. You know, it's huge, but uh, people don't. This connection isn't um, isn't clear enough. You know, yeah. like not everybody understands that <laughs> the right. direct connection. And Remember you, the uh, Marlboro yeah. commercial where the two cowboys are walking along? Yeah. And then the joke is one says to the other, Bob, I miss my lung. <laughs> but now it can show two two cowboys and one's got a bald head and a suture on the side of his head. Bob, I miss my brain. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So because this, that's what they do. They cut out if yeah. you've got a glioblast glioblastoma multiform stage four, they cut out as much as they can, but it continues to grow. You know, I, I think that people are very much addicted to convenience. We've sold our soul in many ways for convenience. I think about how many people who did not want to get the COVID shot got it anyway, because they wanted to travel, they want to go to school, they want to keep their job. We are so willing to do something. And when it comes to the phone and the addiction of the connection of, of instant gratification, instant information, I think that if there's going to be a certain percentage of people if they find out the truth and they really believe what you're saying they're going to say i'm going to choose to use my phone because i'd rather have a shorter life and do it and and not give up my phone it's like there's a lot of people like who would rather not change their diet they would rather die from the complications of obesity than change their diet yeah. in fact back in the 70s there was a cigarette commercial for Terryton. And it showed a guy with a black eye and it said, I'd rather fight than switch. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, you know, people are, are stubborn that way. But my my main concern is the children. Right. So and and it's individual choice and it's informed consent. So on a legal level, we need fabulous experts like you giving testimony. We need to make sure that any individual, any community that utilizes these in the the devices and the infrastructure that allow them that there is full information and that we get that way in we get the ability to opt in or opt out you know we need that freedom of protection you want to go kill yourself you want brain cancer that's your choice now, you might want to interview cc doucette cc doucette yes she is a extremely effective advocate and activist who's actually gotten laws written but what it takes is a relentless never stopping you know like when we bet won our battle against smud i showed up at every single board meeting and spoke at public meetings and then all these other people came in and they wanted to speak too but you have to be the icebreaker you have to say i am going to put my resolve on this and i'm dealing with these uh, ignorant bureaucrats yeah um whether they be sworn and elected or just appointed, uh, you can bring the heat on and CCC Doucette from
from Massachusetts has done that better than anybody else. She's been okay. out years and she's got results. Thank you for that name. I bet you there's people that I know that know Cece. So we'll we'll see if we can get her on. I mean, it, it's really the powers that be who who want to um, who are making big money pushing in this direction and it's us against them trying to protect ourselves. Yeah. So much of the, of the problems. And, and I like to take my own personal responsibility for things as well, though, while this is being pushed at us, I have to take responsibility for my own choices. So that's exactly mm -hmm. why you should hire a professional like Laura or myself to come out and say, okay, I can't worry about what's going on outside my house, but I can sure make sure my house is safe mm -hmm. enough for me and my family. What can I do? Yeah. So instead of spending all this money on all these things that are being sold and advertised uh, or being fearful that the sky is falling, hire a professional mm -hmm. to detect, measure, assign a risk level and propose and effectuate solutions. Yeah. It, it all, cheap. yeah. And It'd be, go ahead. Eric. Eric, you probably see this. When we do go to people's homes, oftentimes we find that they've already purchased a lot of harmonizers and you okay. know, things that are, um, you know, that sell a lot commercially, but they don't actually, you know, uh, they don't reduce the levels in the environment. People think that they're, you know, that they're making an impact somehow. They're, you know, there's stickers and um, different types of materials that are put around. And um, uh, anyway, so I think, the intention is is to make a difference in the environment, but it's just not, um, from my perspective, the best way to go about it, especially to start, because we want to identify the the issues and reduce the exposures. And you know, uh, buying you know harmonizers doesn't necessarily uh, do that. Okay. Yeah. See, the, see this water bottle here. You're holding up a water bottle for those who are audio only. Is there something yes. special about okay. your bottle? Plastic bottle, a pint. Okay, so I got hired by a teaching professor at Stanford University. And he wants me to come down to his house to do a whole house home assessment. Okay. So the first thing he does is he pulls these two things out of the closet. And it's something about this size wrapped with copper wire. It looks like a giant bobbin of thread, if you've seen those. Mm -hmm. And she's, he said, could you test these for me? I said, how should I test them? What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to neutralize all the EMF in the house. So I said, are you serious? Yeah, so I spent 10 minutes. I said, I don't see they're doing anything. How much did they cost? Well, they're normally $2,500 a piece, but I got two. So the total was only $4,000. Oh, good heavens. So, and then Laura, that same person is going to probably argue with you and you charge them $150 an hour. Mm -hmm. they, Look, sir, you got flatly ripped off. Mm. Right, you didn't send them back as soon as you find out they didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. it, it's probably a great market to, and I don't know any of the products out there. I mean, I've seen them, I've not evaluated them, I'm not disparaging anything in particular here. But I would imagine a lot of us are very gullible right now. <laughs> we're at that stage where we don't want to give up our things, but now we're afraid for our health and we want to believe something as easy as a little. A sticker on your phone. On my phone or a special necklace or some copper wire in the closet is going to make it, oh, it's all gone now. I can just keep living and not think about it. I mean, really, that's, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, I guess that's why some, I mean, I, I do believe in supplementation, nutraceuticals, that sort of thing, um, especially used as medicine. But, you know, so many people will like buy all these supplements because they're not willing to actually do the hard work of changing their diet and making sure that they're eating um, grass finished pasture raised nutrient dense food right <laughs> so um we we like shortcuts you know it's probably part of our survival mechanism is we like to figure things out make life easier but modern life is is so easy it's killing us <laughs> well you know good health doesn't cost it pays oh and yeah you can't stay well much less get well in a sick house and the doctor never comes to your house yeah Okay, we're down to the last two minutes. So I want each of you to tell people where to find more about you. Um, so Laura, you go ahead. Okay, um, I can. Uh, my website is www.homebiome.org. Um, and I'm on Instagram at homebiome, H-O-M-E-B-I-O-M-E. Um, and then for email contacts, um, for questions or uh to set up, you know, uh, remote or on-site appointments, I can be contacted at info, info at homebiome.org. Wonderful. Thank you. And Eric, what about you? Okay. Go to Windheim EMF, Windheim, W-I-N-D. There we go. H-E-I-M. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Windheim EMF on YouTube, or I got 140 videos there, or just in Google. And you'll get to my website. Check it out. There's a contact form. I'd be happy to assist you. I provide 10 minutes of free consultation to anybody to see if they have a concern that I can help solve. That is so excellent. I'm so uh, glad to have met both of you. You've taught me so much in this very short amount of time. And it really aligns so much with my approach to a lot of aspects of life of, you know, if you don't have a healthcare um, practitioner that you trust that's aligned with you, um, go get one. And now I've widened that to include a home health uh, home biologist. Now say it again. What is it? A building biologist. Building biologist. There we go. <laughs> Eric Winheim and Laura Marquardt, thank you so much for joining me on Inform Life Radio. Have I'm a here. healthy weekend. Thanks we'll so take much, care. <laughs> You've been listening. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We will see you next week. Hi, I'm Brad Dacus, President and Founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PJI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PJI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit PJI. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of Rush Vaccine candidates. 
Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.